0: 34, verse 8 says, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good First Peter chapter 2 verse 3 says, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? In Acts chapter 26 we look at an event, That uh, Several events that the Apostle Paul experienced right here, and I'd like to sort of dig into it just a little bit. It references his experience of regeneration, and he highlights that in this experience. The Apostle Paul was apprehended for preaching the gospel. The Jews wanted to take his life, and that was their mission and their purpose. Paul was defending himself. If we understand more about the experiences of the Apostle Paul, the main author of the uh, letters in the New Testament, we will appreciate them just a little bit more. So let's go through Acts chapter 26. And there's some points that I'd like to especially make and, and maybe come to some conclusions that I think will help us in understanding the way that God... Uh, give spiritual life to his people. Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. I can just in my mind picture Paul just stepping back. Probably it says raising his hands And then beginning to share the gospel. Now, the gospel is good news. That's uh, It's good news to children of God. It's good news to sinners. The gospel is God's promises to his people. Uh, Paul shared many of his personal experiences. But he... He did that in delivering the message of the gospel. And so when Paul had an audience, he would share oftentimes his experience. God's blessed you with unique and personal experiences. And it's a great blessing when you take those experiences and you share those experiences that God has blessed you with with other folks. It'll be a blessing to them and it'll be a blessing to you. I don't know if you heard uh, Brother Bradley this morning. Before Brother Bradley was, uh, was uh, David Jeremiah, and he often brings a really good message as well. He was talking about Thanksgiving, and he said, you know, we can have Thanksgiving, but in order to have gratitude, we have to express the Thanksgiving that we have. And so that's a very important part of Thanksgiving is that we express the Thanksgiving that we had, and that shows the, the gratitude that we have. The Apostle Paul, every time he had an opportunity to express the gospel and his experience and his work of regeneration, he took that and he did it joyfully. Paul said in verse 2 I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know. Thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. And then Paul begins to state his experience, and he's uh, uh, presenting his plea and appeal before King Agrippa, and he says, "My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which from which knew me from the beginning." If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul goes back and you can go over into Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9 and see uh, part of what this is referring to right here and the Apostle Paul's experience. But Paul said, I was right in my own mind. I was right in my own conviction I was right in my own thinking, in my own understanding, according to the uh, understanding that I had. He said, as far as a Pharisee, I was the chief of Pharisees. As far as one that knew the law, I knew the law. And he said, he goes on down to say that he himself, and he thought he was doing it. He thought it was the right thing to do that he would actually apprehend and he gave blessings to persecute Christians for the very message that he now feels a great desire and a great responsibility to proclaim. It's amazing how that when God deals with us, he oftentimes changes our thinking, and he changes our course. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul right here. He thought he had it figured out. He thought he had it all just right until the Lord dealt with him. And when the Lord dealt with him, he saw the areas that he was missing the mark. And he saw that if he had any hope, any assurance, any deliverance, it was only by the grace of Almighty God. So Paul comes down and he tells us right here. He said, I was a Pharisee. I lived uh, a religion. I lived it strictly. And he said, but now I stand and I am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. He says, why should it be thought a terrible thing with you that God should raise the dead? The particular sect that Paul uh, embraced of the Jews did believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees, there was a disconnect between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees did believe that there would be a resurrection. But the Sadducees did not believe that there was a resurrection. And so there was a disconnect or a discord between the two groups right here. But Paul is saying, my hope and my desire and my message is that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And he said, that's not off course from what you've been taught and what you believe. Now, look at what he says. He said, Why should it be thought an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? He says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things that are contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, Which thing I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having authority of the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And he says, And I punished them oft in synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He says, Wherefore, whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven... The brightness of the sun shining round about me, which journeyed with, with and, and them which journeyed with me. Let's go over to Acts and look at the experience that Paul is referring to right here himself. In Acts chapter 9, it says, And Saul, and he made reference to this, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went up to the high priest. And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any in the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed and came near Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And it says, and he fell to the earth in Acts chapter 26. He said he and those that were with him. In Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul fell to the earth and then he said, uh, he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And it says, and I am Jesus. The response is, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to. To kick against the pricks. And that's also referenced in Acts chapter 26. And it's referring to an animal that would be directed or bound by pricks. And as they would go in the wrong direction. The pricks would penetrate and hurt. And get the attention to cause them to go in the right direction. Have you ever yourself experienced kicking against the pricks? Listen. Listen. God knows what pricks are necessary in each one of our lives. And it's different for every single one of us. And it's not a pleasant journey. In fact, the verse that Elder Bradley mentioned to the young man, he said, the way of the transgressor is hard. And if we go against the Lord and you are one of the Lords, the Lord knows how to get our attention. And that's what he was saying to Paul right here. He says, Paul, I'm calling you to serve me. And if you don't serve me or if you deviate from it, it's a hard and difficult course. And that's what he's telling Paul right here. Now, for those of us that have chosen at different times in our life to go the wrong way, I personally can attest that what Paul's saying right here is real and it's true. So this is what he says to Paul, and he says it twice in Acts chapter, again in Acts chapter 26. Paul said, I thought I was doing the right thing. But he said, then something happened. Something changed. He says, and when we were, verse 14, all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Again, he says it right here. And then he says in verse 15, referring to chapter 9. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Well, how is it that this changed? came about in Paul's life. We're taught and we're instructed and we're encouraged in God's word to preach the gospel. And Paul, later you'll see, became a wonderful preacher of the gospel. But the very best preacher of all time was Jesus Christ himself. And yet when Jesus Christ would deliver messages. There were some. Whose hearts were tender toward the message. And there were others. Whose hearts were angered at the very same message. And there were some that said, well, we'll hear about this another time. What? Is the difference. We're taught to go and preach the gospel, but we probably, Brother Steve and I, shouldn't be surprised when we attempt to preach the gospel in our feeble way and everybody is not just turned and changed immediately. We shouldn't be surprised. When even Paul himself delivered the gospel. And yet the end result was that he didn't always see an immediate response and immediate change. That did not discourage Paul. That did not hinder Paul in his efforts in preaching the gospel. Nor did it discourage Paul that when Jesus Christ himself Preach the gospel that it didn't always change all the lives of the hearers. Why does it not? Why doesn't it bring about change like that? Why doesn't it bring about? There there are messages that have made a tremendous impact in my life. And before I'm gone, hopefully before the Lord calls me home, I'll preach on those that meant so much to me. I've already started down that road but I hope to preach those messages that changed my heart. But but it would be great from our perspective if every time we preach the gospel that we see tremendous change in the lives of God's people. But especially from the direction of going down the wrong course or the wrong way and changing to the right way. But as we look at the examples in God's word. We see that when the gospel is proclaimed. That most often. There's a few. That it finds a lodging place and it ministers to them. And there's others. That are just not really. Really interested in it and then there's others that actually abhor the very message that the first group rejoices in what's the difference they all heard the same thing they heard the same message what could the difference be let's see if we can figure it out right here Paul said, he said that Christ revealed himself to him. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, let me just pose this question. When Paul said... Who art thou, Lord? Do you think Paul was saved at that time? I believe he was. The work had already begun in his life that caused him to even have the desire to know who it was that was dealing with him. Now, when the Lord revealed Himself to him and who he was. That's a great blessing and benefit for Paul at that time and for the rest of his life. But he was a child of God even before he experienced this right here. Now let's look at let's see if we can figure this out. I I hope it I hope it's I hope not to complicate it and make it more difficult. I hope I hope the Lord will bless us to. To understand it, and I hope that that as we as we dig into it and as we as we look into this experience right here, I hope that you will put yourself in the situation of Paul, and I hope that you 'll find yourself experiencing the same thing that Paul experienced right here. Okay, this is what he says: He said, "I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, and in my bible it 's in the red, and i 'm sure yours as well." He said, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which and which I will appear unto thee. He says in Acts chapter nine, when he experienced this, he said the Lord revealed to him that he was showing him what great things that he was going to suffer for the name and the sake of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. First of all, we do believe that the scriptures teach that it's God that calls ministers. The church recognizes the work of the Holy Spirit in God calling ministers. But it's not the church that calls and makes ministers of the gospel. It's not a school somewhere that makes ministers of the gospel. It's not a particular education that makes ministers of the gospel. But it is, from what the scriptures teach, it is a calling that is given by God. There are many, in fact, most that experience in this call because they recognize their own inabilities, their own doubts, their own fears. There are many as what's been referred to in the South of folks that run from that calling that would choose to do almost anything else other than follow that calling. But yet, if God is in the business of calling individuals, God knows how to get the attention of that individual. I've shared this with you and I'll mention it right now. There was a gentleman, Elder Compton told this story, uh, and and he knew the gentleman firsthand. He said, I heard the, the story firsthand. He said there was a gentleman in North Carolina, and it was apparent in his conversations, it was apparent in his efforts in speaking, it was apparent that God was in the matter and God was dealing with the individual. But he would not be submissive to the... Call of the church in being ordained or in uh, pastoring the church. And he was having lunch with his wife. They lived out in the country and as they were eating, his wife told him, he says, when are you going to be obedient to the call of the church and the call of the Lord to be ordained in the ministry? And the gentleman said, I wouldn't do it even if lightning struck. And I tell you, you don't want to tempt the Lord in any area. It's not a good idea. Elder Compton said the gentleman got up from the dinner table, walked outside to hoe the garden. And while he was hoeing the garden, a bolt of lightning struck the hoe and tossed it several hundred feet away from him. And he got his attention and he went back in and he told his wife, I'm ready to be ordained. For the Lord knows how to get our attention, But it's God that calls. It's God that calls. But here's what he said. He said, I'm calling you to be a minister and I'm calling you to be a witness. And he says, in fact, I'm going to tell you what your ministry is. He says, delivering thee from the people. He says, delivering thee for the, the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. He says, here's the purpose of your ministry, Paul. He said, it's to open the eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He says it's to open their blind eyes. It's to open and unloose their deaf ears. It's to give them light on what God has done in their life. It doesn't say right here that the purpose that, that God is calling the Apostle Paul for is to give spiritual life. But it is to enlighten folks by the promises of God, by his experiences. But it is to enlighten folks That have life and life. Now let's look at what he says right here. He says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was, uh, that's a southern term. He says, O King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works that are meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. He says, having there obtained help from God, I continue this day witnessing both to the small and the great, saying none other things than those which the prophet and Moses should say that which did say should come. Paul is saying that the only reason that I've been spared, the only reason that I've been protected is that God has spared me. Did you know that looking back upon your life, it may be that the only reason that you're here and the only reason you've been spared is that God has spared you. It may be that the only reason that you're here is that God has put his hedge of protection about you. How many of us would have destroyed ourselves with the poor choices that we've made, with the wrong directions that we've gone, and yet God through his mercy intervened and spared our lives to this day. Paul says, King Agrippa, I know I'm here and I know I'm here because God has spared me to this day and to this time. He says, don't you know that Paul had to have a whole lot of confidence knowing that God had spared him to that point and that God was with him. He says that Christ should suffer and that 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 he should be the first and that he should rise from the dead and that he should show the light of unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Festus said, Paul, you, you, you've, you've just gone off your rocker. You, 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 you are losing your marvels here. He said, you, you've just you've learned so much that you, you don't have uh, good sense with you. And he said unto him, he says, Festus, he says, I'm not mad. He says, he says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And then he says something right here, and I think this is worthy. The next few verses right here are worthy of our consideration. What's the difference? Paul says he turns to the king And he says, King Agrippa, you know these things that I'm saying. You've heard about the resurrection. These things that I'm telling you are not foreign to you. You've heard them. He says, for thou, King, knowest these things. Before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. He says, even the things that I've done, this is not done in a corner. And then he says, King Agrippa, do you believe what the prophet said? He said, I know that you believe. I know that you know. What the prophets have said. Now look at what he says. Then Agrippa said unto him. Here's how Paul is. uh, Here's how Agrippa responds to Paul. Then Agrippa said to Paul. Almost. Paul. You've almost. Persuaded me. To be. A Christian. What's the difference? What's the difference? I am not saying. Because the scripture doesn't say. That King Agrippa was not a child of God. God knows. And I'm happy to leave it there. But there is something that the children of God. Experience right here. Here. That's different than the audible sound of even the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even the head knowledge of being able to connect the dots of Jesus Christ. King Agrippa was a smart man. And he said, Paul, By the argument that you've made right here, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Did you know that. The believers hope. The believers experience. It is not through head knowledge. But it's through the heart. The difference is that the Holy Spirit who is sovereign, who is effective 100% of the time, that when He speaks that life-giving voice and He speaks it into the heart, we live. Now, if you've been touched in the heart, With spiritual life. Then when you hear it audibly. You rejoice. You're in that group that says it's talking about me. But it's not the hearing that causes you to have it. It's what God does in the heart. we'll look at a couple of verses here. I love this in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. He says of his people. He says, "All that the Father giveth me shall come to me." So the preacher would be greatly discouraged if he looked at his success record and realized that there was very few that gave evidence in light of his entire ministry that came to the Lord. But here he says that Jesus Christ says, all that the Father gives me. So whatever it is right here that's doing this work of giving and granting life, it's completely effective all the time. Now, one minister down south years ago said that he was struggling with the doctrines of grace and the depravity of man and and, and he, he had just been exposed to the doctrines of grace, and he was preaching in, a, in, a, in another order. And he said his wife, was the, um, his wife was the piano player, and you would know the couple if I mention the name. His wife was the piano player, and he said that they had a, a week's-long revival meeting. And on the last night of the revival, they had a visiting preacher that was there, and on the last night of the revival... Uh, the, the 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 meeting had built up to a, a height of anxiety, and and they were really expecting a, a great number of folks to come forward and give their life to Christ, and he said that that he was still struggling with the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God. And he said this was going on in the back of his mind while pastoring this church that didn't embrace those principles. And he said his wife, at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the message, his wife got up to go and play the last song, Just As I Am, without one plea, not knocking the song at all. I'm just saying that uh, he said this was the song that she was going to play and they were expecting folks to come up and give their their life to the Lord. And he said, as his wife got up to walk across the aisle to get to the piano. Uh, As she stood up, her foot had gone to sleep. And he said she took about two steps and she fell in the middle of the floor and said, all of this uh, uh, anticipation of folks uh, being in the, the mindset to give their life to the Lord, all that went away because their attention was redirected to my wife. And he said that on the way home, the visiting preacher, he, and the, uh, he was visiting with the visiting preacher. And on the way home, he said, I'm sorry that we didn't have some that came forward and, and gave their life to the Lord. And the visiting preacher said to him, he said, well, what would you expect when the, uh, when the, the pianist player, when her foot goes to sleep and the whole mindset of the, the congregation changes? And he said, right then and there, I realized. That if somebody's eternal destiny depended upon my wife's foot going to sleep or not. He said, I knew that there was something wrong with it. So what's the difference? It's that the Lord, by his sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. He reaches us no matter where we are. We may have gone far from the Lord. By the way, I don't encourage anybody to run from the Lord. But if you do, he knows where you are. He may have run far from the Lord, but he knows where to reach their case. Look what he says right here. He says, all I like that. I believe where he says, all I believe he means all he says, all that the father gives me shall come to me. And, he, and, 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 and I believe you can go over to Romans chapter eight and you can see how many uh, you can see who that all is. And you can see how it's followed all the way down through the chapter uh, and he, he, he follows it from the the, the the selection and the predestination all the way to glorification. It's really, really good. He says, all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. It doesn't seem like and this is Jesus Christ declaring this message right here. He says, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him which hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. So what's he saying right here? Jesus Christ is saying that the way that God designed it, the way that God designed salvation was because it was his will. We hear a whole lot about our will, but here he says it's according to God's will. He says, it's the Father's will which hath sent me. He said, even in sending me, that's part of God's will being fulfilled right here. And he says, and this is the Father's will. He tells us exactly what the Father's will is. He said, and this is the Father's will that of all which he hath given me. I believe he's talking about the elect family of God, those that were chosen in Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world, a specific, vast, large number of people that he's referring to right here. He says, all that the Father giveth me. He said, this is the Father's will that of all which he hath given me. He says that I should lose nothing. Now, let me ask you, if that's what God's will is, if that's what God's plan is, if that's what God's purpose is, Don't you think that it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ gave his life upon the cross of Calvary. And if there is one person that misses heaven that Jesus Christ represented right here. The father's will was not fulfilled and not satisfied. Every single one that Christ died for will live with him in glory. All right. He says, and I should lose nothing. And he says, "And oh, by the way, I'm going to raise him up again at the last day. That's good news for you and I. I'll raise him up the last day. And then verse 44, he says, he says, no man can come to me. He says, no man can come to the father. He says, we don't have the ability to come to the father except the father, which has sent me draw him. And he says, I'll raise him up at the last day. He says, no man can even come to me except the father draw him unto him. In Hebrews, Hebrews it it talks about, uh, again, Hebrews chapter chapter 8. He says, not according, verse 9, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day which I took them, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That is the work. That is not the external work of the preacher. And it's not the external work of hearing the gospel. That's the work that goes on in the heart of the child of God. And it's sovereign when God chooses to grant this work. And when God grants it, it says he puts it in our hearts and in our minds. In fact, he says right here in verse 11. Now I have to tell you, this really this verse really ministered to me. Because I came up and the only influence I had was that, that that it was important that we tell people about the Lord and that the main purpose of that was to populate heaven. And this verse right here tells us that is not what we're to do. It's not up to the preacher to populate heaven. It's up to the Holy Spirit to populate heaven. Look what he says right here. He says, and they shall not. Now, if it says not to do it, and we've been doing it, then it's a good idea to stop. And he says right here, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother, they shall not go around and teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why not? He clearly tells us right here. He says, They shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. He says, Good news! They're going to all know me, from the least to the greatest. No matter where they are. No matter what part of the earth they're in. No matter what age they've been born in. No matter how poor. No matter how rich. No matter uh, about their illnesses. No matter how they've wandered from the Lord or how close they've been. He says they're all going to know me from the least to the greatest. You say, how are they going to know him? If if it's not through us telling them about the Lord, how are they going to know him? He says, for he says, and they shall not teach every man, his neighbor, every man, his brother, saying, no, the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? He said, they're going to know me because he says, I am going to write my laws in their hearts. And in their mind. And they'll be to me a people. And I will be to them a God. What's the difference? King Agrippa said. Paul. You've just. Almost persuaded me. To be a Christian. What's the difference in you? The difference is, and it may have happened in the life of King Agrippa. God knows if he's in the elect family. For the thief on the cross, it happened just minutes before he gave his last breath. And God is sovereign when he plants his spirit within them. But here's the difference. You've not just been taught it and you've not just learned it from reading the scriptures and hearing the message. But as Peter says right here in verse three. That you have tasted. That the Lord is gracious. You've tasted it. It's not just a head knowledge. But it's a heart knowledge. And your rejoicing and belief in Jesus Christ is an evidence that God has touched you with his spirit and given you a heart to loving and to serve him. That's why you're a Christian. It's because of what God's done in your heart. It's because you've tasted the sweetness and the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God in your life and in your heart. The gospel's a great blessing. It's a great benefit. But the gospel does not give life. The Holy Spirit Gives life. We're not even in a state that we can make a decision to make a change. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in sins. Quickened means that he gives us life. How much did you have to do with your natural birth? Not much. No. Very passive in the natural birth. How much more so with your spiritual birth? God gives a spiritual life. When you're born naturally, you don't even at first know who your mom and dad are. But you begin to learn it. And that's the same way it is spiritually speaking. You may not even know the audible name of Jesus Christ. Helen Keller was... Uh, was blind and deaf and had difficulty communicating and they devised a plan to be able to communicate with her and and when they did uh, and they told her about Jesus her response was oh, that's his name. She already knew about him in the heart. And then when the knowledge came the head knowledge it found a connection a lodging place. But it's the spirit that quickens and gives us life. And unlike the preaching of the gospel, who's delivered with sinful, you know, God could have chosen angels, perfect angels to deliver the message. The gospel is delivered with all of the shortcomings, the the shortcomings of the the minister that's delivering it. The mannerisms, you know, a lot of times I'll sit down and I'll think, well, I wish I'd have said that. Or sometimes I sit down and I think, "I wish I hadn't have said that. but with all the imperfections, you don't experience that with the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost touches and gives life. The gospel is an evidence. Your response to the Gospel of Jesus Christ is an evidence that God has visited you and worked in your heart and given you spiritual life. Spiritual life comes solely by the blessing. Of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. The gospel brings life and immortality to light. It doesn't give life, but it brings it to light. What you have. What a blessing that that is. I believe that's the difference. In those that, when they hear the gospel, some rejoice. And they can relate to the songwriter that says, I'm a stranger here below, and what I am is hard to know. I am so vile, so full of sin. I fear that I'm not born again. Big difference from somebody that says, that doesn't describe me. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us life. And He does it immediately, and it's effective 100% of the time. God bless you. glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at ten thirty a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.